0: welcome
1: i am your host and this is the unanswered questions podcast Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions, so I hope you enjoy, and as always, leave me some feedback on what you think about the show, and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the extremely sad case of Christine Chabuck. So, Christine Chris Chubbuck, born August 24th of 1944 and died on July 15th of 1974, was an American television news reporter who worked for stations WTOG and WXLT-TV in Sarasota, Florida. She was the first person to die by suicide on a live television broadcast. Christine Chubbuck was born in Hudson, Ohio, the daughter of Margaretha D. Pegg, born 1921 and died in 1994, and George Fairbanks Chubbuck, born 1918 and died in 2015. She had two brothers, Greg and Tim. Chubbuck attended the Laurel School for Girls in Shaker Heights, a suburb of Cleveland. During her years at Laurel, she jokingly formed a dateless wonder club with other rejected girls who did not have dates on Saturday nights. Chebuck attended Miami University in Oxford, Ohio for one year, majoring in theatre arts, then attended Edicott College in Beverly, Massachusetts, before earning a degree in broadcasting at Boston University in 1965. Now we get into her career. So Chebuck worked for WVIZ in Cleveland between 1966 and 1967 and attended a summer workshop in radio and television at New York University in 1967. That same year she worked in Canton, Ohio and for three months at WQED-TV in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania as assistant producer for two local shows, Woman's World and Keys to the City. In 1968, Chebuck left WQED to spend four years as a hospital computer operator and two years with a cable television firm in Sarasota, Florida. Immediately before joining ABC affiliate WXLT-TV, now WWSB, she worked in the traffic department of WTOG in St. Petersburg. Several years before her death, Chebuck had moved into her family's summer cottage in Siesta Key. Sally Quinn of the Washington Post later reported that she had painted the bedroom and canopied bed to look like that of a young teenager. After Chebuck's parents were divorced, her mother Peg and younger brother Greg came to live in the Florida home. When Greg left, her elder brother Tim moved in. Chebuck had a close relationship with her family, describing her mother and Greg as her closest of friends. WXLT's owner Bob Nelson hired Chebuck as a reporter, but later gave her a community affairs talk show, Suncoast Digest, which ran at 9am. Production manager Gordon J. Acker described Chewbuck's new show to a local paper, quote, It will feature local people and local activities. It will give attention, for instance, to the storefront organizations that are concerned with alcoholics, drug users, and other lost segments of the community. Quote. Page 5 of the article showed a smiling Chubak posed with a WXLT camera. Chewbuck took a position seriously, inviting local officials from Sarasota and Brinton to discuss matters of interest to the growing beach community. After her death, the Sarasota Herald Tribune reported that she had been nominated for a Forestry and Conservation Recognition Award by the Brinton District Office of the Florida Division of Forestry. Chewbuck was considered a strong contender by district forester Mike Keel. He had been scheduled to appear as a guest on Chewbuck's show the morning of her suicide, but cancelled because of the birth of his son. On occasion, Chewbuck incorporated homemade puppets she'd used to entertain children with intellectual disabilities during her volunteer work at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Now we get into a very sad death, so Chebuck spoke to her family at length about her struggles with depression and suicidal tendencies, although she did not inform them of her intent to commit suicide on live television. She had attempted to overdose on drugs in 1970 and frequently made references to that event. Chabuk had been seeing a psychiatrist up until several weeks before her death, and her mother chose not to tell WXLT management about her daughter's suicidal tendencies because she feared Chebuck would be fired. Chewbacca's focus on her lack of intimate relationships is generally considered to be the driving force for her depression. Her mother later summarised that her suicide was simply because her life was not enough. End quote. She lamented to her co-workers that her thirtieth birthday was approaching and she was still a virgin who'd never been on more than two dates with a man. Her brother Greg later recalled she had gone out with a man several times before moving to Sarasota, but agreed that she had trouble connecting socially in the beach resort town. He believed her constant self deprecation for being dateless contributed to her ongoing depression. According to Quinn, Chebuck had unrequented crush on co-worker Greg Peter Ryan. She baked him a cake for his birthday and sought his romantic attention, only to find out he was already involved with sports reporter Andrea Kirby. Kirby had been the co-worker closest to Chebuck, but she was offered a new job in Baltimore, which had further depressed Chabak. Her lack of a romantic partner was considered a tangent for, of her desperate need to have close friends, though co-workers said she tended to be brusque and defensive whenever they made friendly gestures towards her. She was self-deprecating, criticizing herself herself constantly and rejecting any compliments others paid her. Chebuck also had her right ovary removed in an operation the year before her suicide and had been told that if she did not become pregnant within two to three years, it was unlikely she would ever be able to conceive. A week before her suicide, she told Night News editor Rob Smith that she had bought a gun and joked about killing herself on air. Smith later stated that he did not respond to what he thought was Chebak's sick attempt at humour and changed the subject. In the lead-up to her suicide, Jabaku, who was known to detest what she referred to as blood-and-guts reporting, i.e. sensationalized violence over legitimate journalism, had volunteered to produce a feature on suicide for the station, doing research for which she had asked a police officer how someone would go about taking their own life, the sheriff proceeding to reveal what kind of gun and bullets that he would use if ever put in that situation. One co has since recalled that around the same time, Chebac had said to him, in what he assumed was a joking manner, something to the effect of, and I quote, wouldn't it be wild if I blew myself away on the air, end quote. Now we come to a suicide. So on the morning of July 15th of 1974, Chebuck confused co-workers by claiming she had to read a news to open Suncoast Digest, something she had never done before. That morning's guest waited across the studio while Chebuck sat at the news anchor's desk. During the first eight minutes of her program, Chebuck covered three national news stories and then a shooting from the previous day at a local restaurant, Beef and Bottle, at the Sarasota-Brenderton airport. The film reel of the restaurant shooting had jammed up and would not run, so Chebuck shrugged it off and said on camera, and I quote, In keeping with the WXLT practice of presenting the most immediate and complete reports of local blood and guts news, TV40 presents what is believed to be a television first, in living colour and exclusive coverage of an attempted suicide. End quote. She then drew a thirty eight calibre Smith and Wesson model thirty six revolver that she had, had hidden in her bag placed it behind her right ear and fired immediately slumping forward violently onto a desk as the technical director scrambled to fade rapidly to black. The station quickly ran a standard public service announcement and then a movie. Some television viewers called the police, while others called the station to inquire if the shooting was staged. After the shooting, news director Mike Simmons found the papers from which Chabak had been reading her news broadcast that contained a complete script of her program, including not only the shooting, but also a third-person account to be read by whichever staff member took over the broadcast after the incident. He said her script called for her condition to be listed as critical. Quote, She had written something like TV40 News personality Christine Chebak shot herself in a live broadcast this morning on a Channel 40 talk program. She was rushed to Sarasota Memorial Hospital, where she remains in critical condition." Chabuk was taken to Sarasota Memorial Hospital, where she was pronounced dead 14 hours later. Upon receiving the news, a WXLT staffer released the information to other stations using Chebuck's script. For a time, WXLT aired reruns of the series Gentle Ben in place of Suncoast Digest. Now we get into the aftermath and what happened to the tape of her alleged suicide. So, Chebacca's body was cremated, the funeral ceremony was held on the beach, where her ashes were scattered into the Gulf of Mexico. Approximately 120 people attended, including local officials who had appeared on a show. Three songs by her favourite singer Roberta Flack were played, and Presbyterian Minister Thomas Beeson delivered the eulogy, stating, and I quote, We suffer at our sense of loss. We are frightened by her rage. We are guilty in the face of her rejection. We are hurt by her choice of isolation isolation and we are confused by her message, End Sunset Digest stayed on the air for several years with new hosts. Simmons, the station director, said Chabuk's suicide was unrelated to the station, quote, the crux of the situation was she was a 29-year-old girl who wanted to be married and who wasn't, End quote. He stated this in 1977. Now we get to the availability of the so-called suicide broadcast. So as the broadcast took place in 1974, it's possible, though highly unlikely, that the suicide could have been recorded by a home viewer as several primitive VCRs had been made commercially available by that time, such as a U-Matic, one of the first home video recorders. However, due to the high cost of the unit, it was incredibly rare for a 1974 household to possess one. Until some form of hard evidence surfaces indicating that an additional copy still exists somewhere or proof that the originals were not actually destroyed, the video is generally accepted as being impossible to obtain. Notably, a significant number of people claim to have seen the footage via a number of sources other than the original live broadcast, including early websites, FBI training videos, and Mondo films such as Faces of Death, though given the circumstances, this seems unlikely steve newman WXLT's weather weatherman at the time picked up the story from there and kate plays christine's interview quote, there is only one copy of that videotape from the last day that exists nobody copied it it seems to have had at least one viewer while still in the station's headquarters Quinn, who wrote the post story, says she recalls watching a recording of WXLT many times while writing a story, but doesn't have any information about what happened to the tape after that. The station, now called WWSB, confirmed that it doesn't have a copy. Newman explained that the station's then owner, the late Robert Nelson, kept the tape for himself, and that his widow Molly currently has it. She wants to throw it in the bay, Newman said of Molly, and I said don't do that, give it to the museum or Columbia School of Journalism or something for safekeeping, because it is history, as unfortunate as that history is is end quote that's one version of the story another version told in dubious accounts on wikipedia and the lost media wiki says that a tape was given to the sarasota police at one point but the sarasota sheriff's department said unequivocally that they had never had such a tape in their possession. i doubt you will ever get your hands on it said the public affairs rep that went out of her way to add that Then there's the version that places the tape in the position of the Chabuck family. They're understandably very secretive about this, but Chabuk's brother, Greg, recently spoke to people and briefly touched on the rumours of the tape. He says the family got an injunction to prevent the station from releasing the footage, that authorities seized it, that those authorities turned it over to Chabuck's mother. The rest, he says, is hazy. Quote, I don't know to this day where it is, but I do know that no one knows where it is, and no one ever will if I have anything to say about it. End quote. And then, of course, there's a story that Chebuck's footage obsessives subscribe to that somewhere, somehow, at least one viewable copy exists. Some people even claim to have watched it. Quote, a long time ago when the internet was feeling new, I remember seeing the video, says Tracy Kelly, a San Diego author who was fascinated by Chabuck's life and death. She says she viewed it in the late 1990s or early 2000s, probably on Augish. Quote, I've always been interested in true crime and murders, and I was curious to see what she actually did. So I clicked on it, and I can remember her sitting behind the desk with her black hair and her black and white dress. I remember her saying that line and shooting herself. I know I saw it. End quote. However, she's never been able to locate said footage again. Now we come to where the footage is. Shortly thereafter, an injunction was brought against Channel 40 by Chabak's family, preventing them from ever releasing the footage of her death. The two-inch quad master tape, plus a copy, both of which had previously been confiscated by the Sarasota Sheriff's Department as evidence following the incident, were then handed over to the family who are said to have destroyed them. A rumoured third copy has been speculated to exist in the FCC archives. However, this claim has never been proven and was in fact denied by the FCC when queried by a Find a Death forum user. In a Interestingly, it was Chabuck's own will that the event was recorded in the first place. She requested that the episode be taped, something that was not normally done due to the cost of tapes back then. On January 31st of 2017, a video titled Freaky 5 Lost Footage was uploaded by a YouTuber called Nation Squad, featuring five pieces of lost media that are considered creepy or disturbing. The Christine Chebuck story is at number one on the list. At the end of the video, in 8 minute and 46 seconds, there appears to be footage of the suicide as it happened. It is in black and white with distorted audio and video. Since then, many users on YouTube have since re-uploaded the so-called footage. There was a wide debate on websites like 4chan, the Nation Squad forums, and even the lost media wiki forums about the authenticity of the so-called footage from Nation Squad. Nation Squad himself never replied to any questions about whether the footage was real or fake, and therefore users on the aforementioned website came up with theories and analysis in an attempt to deliver a verdict on whether the footage was genuine or fabricated. On February 13th of 2017, the footage seen in Nation Squad's video was confirmed fake by Gordon Galbraith, who was the news director of Newswatch program at WXLT-TV, Now WWSB TV, that Christine hosted at the time of her suicide. In early 2021, YouTuber Alstis acquired what is generally accepted as being a legitimate cassette recording of the audio from the incident via an undisclosed private collector, releasing the portion of the news cast prior to the suicide on the YouTube channel in February of that year, though choosing not to publish the actual suicide audio out of respect. The audio matches the voice of Christine, heard in Kate Plays Christine, and also aligns with the news reported on in the Sarasota Hero Tribune from the day of the incident, leaving little doubt as to its authenticity. In April of the same year, Adelis released the audio in its entirety via his YouTube channel. It has since been privated, as has the other video without her final words and the gunshot. Adding
0: substantially to those statistics, this weekend, being typical of the recent rash of violence, saw one man stabbed, another assaulted, and a third shot and wounded. Sarasota police report the finding of an 18-year-old, a man by the name of David Lynn, in the parking lot of Friendly Tavern on 27th Street. Wynn had an apparent stab wound in the chest, which, according to witnesses, was inflicted by James Whitworth during a fight. Police charged Whitworth with aggravated assault. Wynn is in satisfactory condition at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. The second attempted at on a robbery in a week has involved law enforcement officers from both Sarasota and Man- Manatee counties. Last week, teenage gunmen held up the highway bar and after a shootout and high-speed automobile chase, held a family hostage and finally were nabbed by Sarasota sheriff's deputies. Early Sunday morning, the Beef and Ball restaurant north of Sarasota Bradenton Airport on US 41 was the site of an attempted armed robbery and shooting. TV 40 newsman Bob Peterson was on the scene shortly after it began and he filed this report. Oh, sorry, for those of you who saw late-night weekend news watch, Last night, we did have a film report and a commentary by Bob Peterson. Unfortunately, we had technical difficulties and cannot thank you now. However, watch his watch tonight at 5.30 and we'll have that story for you then. As of this morning, Foster, Grace Foster, who was shot in that incident, is in satisfactory condition at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. In keeping with the WXLT practice of presenting the most immediate and complete reports of local blood and guts news, TV 40 presents what is believed to be a television first. In living color, exclusive coverage of an attempted suicide.
1: So the question remains, does a copy of her death actually exist? Well according to an article by Vulture on June 8th of 2016, the video does still exist in the hands of Molly Nelson, the widow of the former owner of WXLT TV. Her husband's, for reasons he never shared, kept a copy of the tape and when he died it passed to her. However, when this was publicised she started getting requests to see it which made her uncomfortable. She says that the tape is now in the hands of a very large law firm for safekeeping; that she has no intention to ever let anyone see it and she only held on to the tape to honor her husband. In 2007, Greg Chabuck spoke publicly about his sister for the first time since 1974 in an e-television special. It is sad to say that Christine Chabuck never got what she truly wanted out of life, that being a loving partner, marriage and children. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions that still remain unanswered. Please rate this show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I have covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, Bitshoot, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions podcast. Until next time. Next, on Unanswered Questions. Richard John Bingham, the 7th Earl of Lucan, commonly known as Lord Lucan, was a British peer who disappeared after being suspected of murder.